I, um, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share about Passover and Easter because there's people that do not realize that they really are one and the same and what the connection is. And I felt like the Lord put, put that on my heart. Oh, wow. I felt like the Lord put that on my heart. And then I said, nah. And then I felt like it again. And I said, nah. And the third time I thought, well, this must really be what he wants to share because he wants everyone to know. And I'm sure a lot of people do know, but maybe some people here do not know. So let me just do a real quick synopsis, and I'm going to try to get this done in just 10 minutes, okay? 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth and then brought man into his creation, much like a parent would set up a nursery. And when it was all done and perfect, they would bring their baby into that nursery. And then shortly after, very shortly after, man sinned against God and separated that one-on-one communion that God wanted to have for him. So in Genesis 1, we read about the creation, but by Genesis 3, we're already reading about the need for a Savior. And in Genesis 3, chapter 15, it says, And he will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. And that's the first scripture, Genesis 3.15, where we see the introduction of a Messiah. Picture the devil reaching up to just bite Messiah's heel, and Messiah's heel coming down and crushing Satan's head, crushing his power that he would have over us, crushing his ability to bring us into hell where he was judged and sent to go, crushing his power of causing us to have no power over sin and death, and now we have all power over sin and death. So then by Genesis chapter 12... God introduces Abram. Now, Abram, later to be called Abraham, the father of many nations, was the first Jew. And Abraham had a son when he was very old. His wife, who was barren, and even if she wasn't barren, too old to have children, had a son of promise called Isaac. And Isaac had 12 sons. Excuse me. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons. I've just seen if you're aware. Yeah. Okay. So Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons who were the 12 tribes of Israel. And they had one son named Joseph, who the other brothers were jealous of, and they sold him into slavery, went back and told Jacob that he had died because he'd been eaten by a wild animal. But then there came a famine in Canaan, and Jacob's sons went to Egypt where he heard there were food, not realizing that their brother who they'd sown into slavery thrown and sold into slavery, then wound up being thrown into jail, then wound up interpreting dreams, called on by Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and then became the second in power in all of Egypt. And he was in charge of all of Egypt. So his brothers came to him through an incredible reunion, found out it was their brother who did not hold it against them, but said, how's my dad doing? Oh, he's alive? Bring him here. And they brought him to the land of Goshen in Egypt, But then the Pharaoh, who had favor with Joseph, died. And another Pharaoh rose who did not know Joseph, but just saw how the Jews were multiplying, and as a result, put them into slavery. And from the time of Jacob uh, coming to Egypt to this time was about 400 to 450 years of slavery. Well, during that time, the Pharaoh, seeing the Jews multiplying so quickly, did something else. He said that all the Jewish boys being born needed to be killed. They needed to be thrown into the Nile. Well, this lady, Moses' mom, she protected him by putting him in a little basket and sending him down the Nile. And lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter finds him, brings him into the palace, raises him as her own. Then he finds out his Jewishness, and then he flees from Egypt. And then God calls this very Moses back to Egypt to free his people. So he goes back to Egypt... And Pharaoh says no, and God turns the Nile to blood. 
And then he says no, and God sends frogs. And then he says no, and then flies, and then locusts, and then pestilence, then boils, then hail, on and on until the tenth plague was that the firstborn of every male in Egypt, animal, person, would die. It was a judgment for when Pharaoh killed all the Jewish males in Egypt. Judgment had to come. A price had to be paid. So God tells Moses, this is what you tell my people. Okay? God identified the Jews as his people. He was their people. They were his God. And God says, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to take a male lamb. I want you to take a male lamb who is one years old. And I want you to inspect that lamb. Bring him into your home for four days. And make sure that there's no blemish at all on that lamb for four days. And then when you find no fault in him, I want you to kill that lamb. And I want you to put the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of your houses. And then I want you to bring in other families if the lamb is too big for just your family to eat them. And I want you to eat it with a staff ready to go at a moment's notice. And I don't want you to break that lamb's bones. And so the Passover was instituted. And actually God said, let this be the beginning of your year. Now for Jews today, Rosh Hashanah is in September. That's because... In 586 B.C., after they were taken into captivity and let back out, the Sadducees and Pharisees got in charge and they changed it. But God said that it should be April. This is the biggest feast day for Israel. This is what marks everything else. You want to know when Pentecost is? Fifty days after the Passover. You want to know when the year begins? At the Passover. Everything revolved around the Passover because it was more significant than just having God free the few million Jews that were held captive. It was a foreshadowing of God freeing the seven billion that are held captive. So then they had to put the bread on their back. They didn't have time to let it rise because they were going to be fleeing at a moment's notice. So they put bread without leaven in it, without yeast in it, on their backs, and they fled. So there's this bread called matzah, which is called the bread of haste. And hopefully we have real matzah. Praise God. Okay. So, so there's this stuff called matzah. And they fled. And then 50 days later, they were there at Mount Sinai, and the law was given, and 3,000 people died that day. Okay, so now let's fast forward, because all this happened 3,500 years ago. Today, 3,500 years later, and every year in between, Jews have celebrated the Passover. Is that mind-boggling? For 3,500 years, what Jews did this weekend has been done every single year for 3,500 years. The Jews have been dispersed. The Jews have been persecuted. The Jews have been killed. The Jews have been almost annihilated. The Jews have been spread to the four corners of the earth and didn't even have a homeland for 2,000 years. But for 3,500 years, every year, the celebration. And why? Because in Genesis 3.15, when we first see the Messiah... And in Genesis chapter 12, when God raises up Abraham to be the first Jew so that the Messiah could come through his bloodline, from that time to this 2,000 years ago, the Messiah was born. Now, what's really cool is that in Daniel chapter 9, he tells us when Messiah would come. He said, from the time the order is given for the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt to this many days, Messiah would come into Jerusalem in triumph, be cut off, the temple destroyed. Now, when Daniel said that, here's what's cool. First of all, they were still in captivity. They hadn't even been released. Second of all, 
How was he to even know that the temple would even be rebuilt, much less destroyed again? There was no temple when he said that. And if you take the days that Daniel said in chapter 9 and you add them up in April of 33 A.D., Messiah was supposed to have come into Jerusalem in triumph, be cut off, and the temple redestroyed. I mean, you cannot do that any other way but that the Messiah came. And so, from that time, though, on that Passover, we all see the picture of the Last Supper. That was the Passover. Jesus was Jewish. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish Messiah came to the Jewish people in Israel, and they wondered, is it okay to tell a Gentile about him? 2,000 years later, we think he's a Gentile God, and is it okay to tell a Jew about him? And, and, and this is the one I love. Jews have to convert to something else to receive their own Messiah. That's the lie the devil has perpetrated to keep Jews from recognizing their own Messiah promised to them 6,000 years ago. So then, on that day, when Jesus celebrates the Last Supper, Passover, there's a time in the Passover where there's a thing called the Echad. Now the Echad, if you remember, and I'm sure you all do, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, right? The Echad means, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, He is one. Echad means one. It's the Hebrew word for one. But you know what else it is? It's the Hebrew word for one meaning unity. Echad means unity. Hear, O Israel, the one God we have is three in one. And the Echad is three pieces of matzah that are wrapped in a linen. And the middle piece is taken out, it's broken, it's wrapped again, it's hidden, and at the third cup, the third day, it's resurrected, and the prize is given to the one who finds it. So we have this bread without leaven, without sin, that is broken. So when Jesus said, this is my body, take ye and eat, he wasn't just looking around the table seeing a good-looking piece of good, thick Italian bread and ripping it off and saying, hey, this is my body, put some butter on it, take ye and eat, it's good. No, he was taking the piece of matzah that was broken and wrapped and buried and raised, the sinless bread. We know that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Lamb of God. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem in triumph, for four days he was inspected by the high priests, by the Sadducees, by the Pharisees, by the people, till finally four days later Pilate looks at him and says, I find no fault in him, crucify him. The Lamb of God the firstborn male lamb was inspected for four days. And then when he hung there, the other's bones were broken, but not Jesus' bones, because Messiah's bones weren't to be broken. The lamb's bones weren't to be broken. And so when that blood was spilled, that blood went over the doorposts of our heart. And as long as we stayed within the home and didn't walk out of that home, the angel of death, the second death, would pass over us. And so while... Jewish families were bringing the lambs out in the backyard and slaying those lambs on that day. The Lamb of God was being slain on that cross. And then three days later, when the high priest was raising up the grain offering, the bread offering, the offering of first fruits, which was done three days after Passover, and raising up the first fruits offering, the real Messiah, the first fruits of those raised from the dead, who we come now after him, was being raised from the grave. And then 50 days later, when the celebration of the giving of the law was being done, where 3,000 people died, that's when the disciples were all in the upper room. And that's why all people from all nations and tongues were in Jerusalem for that feast. 
And then Peter goes outside and starts speaking in tongues. They think he's drunk. The Spirit was being given. On that day in history, the law was given. The law so that you could be righteous by obeying it. But guess what? There was a trick. It was only to show you you couldn't obey it. Have you ever read it? And, and yet, if you fail in one place, you fail in every place. So the law that was given that brought death on that same day, 50 days after Messiah was crucified and rose from the dead, the Spirit was given, and ironically, 3,000 people were saved, not killed, that day. So, all over the world, Christians are celebrating Easter, and Jews are celebrating Passover, but we're all celebrating the resurrection of the Messiah who came to save the world of their sins. It's awesome. Praise God. That was great, wasn't it? Awesome, awesome. So any uh, kids that need to be dismissed, you can do that. You mean i got to talk after that? That was powerful, wasn't it? Oh, Lord, thank you. The Lord's good, isn't he? Amen. Let's just sit here a moment and just think about how good the Lord is, what all he's done for us. I could never get enough of that, Lord. We could never get enough of that. We could never get enough of you, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for a rich history, Lord. And, Lord, even a richer future. Amen? Well, here's what I want to do today. I want for people to leave this building. If you have any yoke on you that's not from the Lord, when you leave, it won't be on you. Or if you've got any burden in your life that the Lord hasn't given you, when you leave, that burden will not be with you. Is that a good deal? And so really the Lord wants, this is a great day to, to get free, to really get free. And so I'm not going to talk really long but what, what, you know, and this, is, this is my thought about Easter. Easter always makes me think about my life when I be, became a believer, okay? I always go back to, to remembering, you know, the way, the way my life was before I knew the Lord and how the Lord saved me and brought me into the kingdom and how my life completely changed, radically changed. Um, and so I was just been reflecting on that this morning. I wanted to share just a few scriptures about that. And I wanted to start out, but I want to read this quotation I read this week by Oscar Wilde. Anybody know who Oscar is? He's a he's sort of a provocative guy, a, 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 a Irishman. You know how they can be. They can be difficult. <laughs> this is what he said. He said, most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinion, their lives a mockery, their passions a quotation. And I can say that at one time, that was me. I was not really who I was. But I can tell you today, that's not true of me anymore. And, and it's because of salvation. Because really, when you think about salvation, salvation really, if God is saving us, Number one, he's saving us from living in a lie, living the lie that's in this world. And he's also saving us from being a lie. Because before we became believers, 
we were living a lie, whether we knew it or not, we were living a lie because we were not really who we really were created to be. And so what salvation does, it brings you into a place with God where you can begin to be who God truly created you to be. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that a wonderful way? Because it's, we call it a new birth, right? You know, Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. Okay? Jesus actually created a whole new race of people. A whole new uh, breed of people, some people call it. But, and he was the firstborn of that new race of people. And we are, as believers, a part of that new race of people. Different people, not the same as we ever did. So, any, you know, when you become a believer, if staying the same... You know, if you stayed the same that you were before you accepted Christ, then you have to really question your salvation experience. Uh, let me read a, just a couple of scriptures um, that's really good. One of them is a good old Presbyterian uh, scripture called Predestination. Anybody Presbyterian? I used to be part of going to a Presbyterian church as a child because my mom and daddy put me in the car and said, this is where you're going to church this morning. Until the day came, I decided to defy my daddy and say, I'm not going no more, which was a terrible day in my life. But looking back, it was probably a worse day in my daddy's life. But this is what it says. For whom he foreknew, for whom he foreknew, at Romans 8:29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, predestined means destiny. It means our destiny, our destination that God has called us all to have to be conformed to the image of His Son, in other words, to be in the likeness of Christ, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, this is really the truth, okay, this morning, for every believer in this room. Uh, whether you believe it or not, and it may sound like a little heresy, because I've thought about it a lot, and thought, this sounds kind of sound like bad doctrine, Lord, but it's bad doctrine not to believe it. You, as a believer in Christ, are as righteous today as Jesus Christ is. You, in, in other words... Let me just say it another way. You're as righteous as God. Because the Bible says that Christ became our righteousness. And so what His righteousness became our righteousness. And, and Jesus is God, right? So come on. Okay. So God has called us to, to be conformed, to, to, to be transformed, to become just like Him. Okay? Uh, let me tell you, the de how many people in here know about Jethro Tull? Anybody remember old Jethro Jethro had an album years ago. Jethro was probably not the kind of stuff you want your kids listening to. <laughs> I love Jethro, though. Anyways, Jethro had an album. I can't remember which one it was. And he had this thing on the back of it that said this. In the beginning, God created man in his image. And man did him a favor. And, or man returned the favor and created God in his image. You know, and that's sort of the... The truth, I mean, I hate to say, even though it came from Jethro, he sort of had the truth that that's what mankind has done is we've tried to create a God in our image. And it's not turned out to be a very good God. That's why people in the world don't want anything to do with God because who wants a God that's like us? We want a God that's like Him, then we can become like Him. This is what David said in Psalm 1750. Don't you love Jethro Toll? He was getting some revelation going. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your righteousness, your likeness. I will be satisfied. In other words, David was saying, I, my life will never be fulfilled. It will, it, I will never be 
until I look upon you and see myself. See, every Christian, every believer in this room, if you're a believer today, there's something deep down inside of you. Whether you are conscious of it or not conscious, there's something in you that's crying out to be who you really are, to be Christ-like, to be in that image of God. It's a desire, it's a hunger in mankind that God, because God, we're, we're supposed to look like Him. Okay? And the truth is, there's a great truth, is we really are like God already within our spirit. Okay, let me just read Second Corinthians uh, 5.17. Everybody knows this scripture, but not many people believe this scripture. Uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, I think one of the one of the, I think one of our greatest frustrations as believers is when we read stuff like this, we look at ourselves and we say it ain't so. When I was first saved, um, you know, I was saved in the seventies, and there was like a move of God in the seventies. It's called you know, it was a revival, uh, and many young people were brought into the kingdom of God. And uh, it was just a sweep of the Lord. It was like the Lord took a net and swam it across the earth and pulled in so many young people, you know, and brought them out of terrible lifestyles. Uh, and I was brought out of a terrible lifestyle. And, and what, this is what happened to me. I instantly went from darkness to light in a moment's time. My whole life was totally changed in a moment. One day I was a drug addict. I was living an illegal lifestyle. I was, my life was consumed with darkness and consumed with things that it shouldn't have been consumed with. And the next day, I was a completely different person and wanted nothing to do with that lifestyle. So when, see, what happens when we get saved, what a lot of people don't realize, when you truly get saved, you have the greatest change ever in your life. You are completely and radically and totally changed. Suddenly you have new desires. You have new visions and new dreams. What used to be so attracted to you is no longer so attracted to you. Okay? And so I was living that life. This is really the truth. I went from plotting and planning illegal activities to calling my daddy the next day and asking him to forgive me for hitting him one time when me and him got in a fight when I was a teenage boy. And I went from, from being despiteful and hateful to my family to actually talking to my sisters and telling them how much I loved them and how much I cared about them. Somebody's horn's blowing. It may be the Lord blowing the horn. Anyways, everybody's going to check on the horn. It's in my car. That's a good thing. Anyways... Here's what happened. Is after a little bit of time, suddenly these new desires that I had seemed to be getting less and the old desires for carnality, for drugs, for a dark lifestyle, I suddenly started wanting that again. Okay? And I became confused in my life. And I watched a lot of my friends who had these new desires like me and walked with me for a while. 
I watched them go back in the world one by one by one, falling away from the Lord because they couldn't reconcile their life. They couldn't reconcile that they were no longer a changed person, that they really were the same old person they always was. And they began to question if salvation was really real, if God was really real, if all this was really real. And some of them came to the conclusion it's not because obviously it's not. Look at me. Look how I feel. I'm no different than I ever was, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to go back and be what I was. And so, enter the church. Okay, enter the church. I get this great advice from the church because I went like, you know, something's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. I so love the Lord. I so desire the Lord. I didn't want anything to do with all that stuff. And now I'm fighting myself. I'm, I'm at war within myself wanting to go back to that. Please help me. Oh, Byron, this is what needs to happen. Son, this is what's happening in your life. You were on a honeymoon period. Okay? And the honeymoon's now over. In order for you to live the Christian life, now here's what you're going to have to start doing to live the Christian life. And they told me a bunch of great things to do. They told me about praying. They told me about fasting. They told me about church attendance. They told me about giving to the church. They told me about serving the church. And so what I did, I went in my life and I began to do all those things. You know, to be able to overcome because the honeymoon was over and I needed to get with the program. That sounds like great counsel, doesn't it? Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, surely we can't live our life in the Lord in a honeymoon stage where we're always in love with God and we're always desiring God and it's all God doing everything, right? No, we can't. But the truth is, we can. You see, what I, I was told is I was told something that sounded good, sounded right, but it's nowhere in the Bible. It's nowhere to be found in the Bible. And see, that's really what's happening. See, when I talk about a yoke, and I talk about a burden, is I begin to live my life like that. And so I, for years, struggled in my Christian life. I struggled to be this new creation trying to do everything right so I could be that new creation. When inside of me, there was something still crying out to me. You're not that new creation. So I was divided within myself. Has anybody ever had this experience? And so I went through a lot of long time in my life not really understanding and struggling so much with my spiritual life because I felt, I felt like a failure. I felt like I wasn't a Christian. I didn't feel good because I had all this other stuff eating at me and wanting to do all, this, all these bad things. Am I talking to anybody this morning? No. <laughs> well, I began to discover something, and I began to discover the, the truth, okay, about what was really going on in my, in my life. Let me read Ezekiel 26. Uh, thirty-six, twenty-six. I'm gonna tell you how this. I'm gonna tell you how this works. I figured out how it works. Okay, this is what happens. It says, "I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." So this is what happens at salvation. Here's here's what a lot of people believe, and this is wrong. Okay, a lot of people. I'm gonna tell you this right now. A lot of people. A lot of people, you know, have you ever heard people say that I'm a spirit being with an earth body? That ain't, that's not even in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's not. 
That's not what we are. We're a soul. That's what the Bible says we really are. We're a soul. We have a spirit. But God said he breathed in Adam and made him alive. Gave us, gave him, made him a life. What was it? A life-giving soul. A life, he breathed in him and brought life into his soul and brought his soul alive. A lot of people think our spirit's dead. Your spirit was never dead. That's not what it said. It, this is what it means. It was dead to God. But everybody in this room, before you were a Christian, you had a spirit. And you had a spirit that had a con- you know, Your conscience is a function of spirit. Everybody has a conscience. Your conscience could have been wrong. Okay? But it was, it was working. It was operating. But just in terms of God... I just told y'all a couple of things y'all, everybody's believed in. Did you get that? Yes. You know, and see, this will help you with your life if you begin to realize who you, who you really are and what you really are on the inside. Okay? So God gives us this new heart. Okay? And He puts it in our spirit comes alive. And so God affects the new creation. The new creation that we are when we get saved is in our spirit. Okay, that's where it's located. It's not, not necessarily automatically in our heart. We have a new heart. So when I got saved, I had this new heart. That's why suddenly the desires of the world, that old heart, God had given me a brand new heart. And, no, and that heart didn't care about any of that old stuff anymore. It cared about what the Spirit, the new man in me wanted. That's why it was in love with God and it was, you know, sorrowful for the things that it had done, the awful things it had done and was, was making, trying to make, I even went, <laughs> this is okay, I even went to people that I had done wrong before I became a Christian. Like, uh, you know, when y'all were broken into a couple years ago, this restaurant and this barbecue was stolen, would y'all arrest the person if you found out who did it? Like, well, why are you asking that? Well, I was one of those people, you know, and I'm coming here to make things right with you. See, you, you don't do things like that. You don't do things like that unless there's something in you that's different. And it was that new creation. Well, what happens, this is what happens. God does not, He gives us a new heart, but He doesn't bring the change in the new thoughts. See, all those old thoughts are out there still. They're still out there. And my heart began to listen to them old thoughts. Them old thoughts about drinking and drugs and promiscuity and all the darkness. And the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Are y'all getting this? And you see, that's what happens to the believers. We begin to think about that that old stuff and we begin to desire it again. Instead of listening to what the new person inside of you is saying. Now this is really the truth. This is how it works. You want to get free today. It starts with your heart. See, God's given you the heart. That's why the Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this change that begins can take place in you. You can begin to get new thoughts, new feelings about everything. If you're, if you're addicted today, you can get free. Okay, you can be free. Y'all just stand here looking at me. Blank looks on your face. This is what the really the, the real gospel really teaches. It doesn't teach that we get saved, we have a honeymoon, everything's cool, we love God, and then we start having to do all these other things. And that's what we've taught people. We've said you get saved. 
you know, you have a new heart, your spirit's alive to God, then after a while you're going to have to do all this stuff to be a good Christian person. And, that, and see what that does, it, it takes away God's ability in you to be the Christian He's called you to be. Does this make sense to you? Because this will set you free if you can really get this this morning. I mean, it will totally set you free. You, you, and you may be sitting there saying, no, I have all these bad desires in me. Okay? You see, it's what you believe that rules you. If you don't believe... See, you got saved and became a new creation. How? But you believed something. Right? You, you believed something. That's how you stay free. That's how you stay, you walk in righteousness. You keep just believing. You begin to believe, I'm a new creation. I spent years trying to be that new creation. And the more I tried, the less I was. And when I one day made a decision in my heart, you know what? I'm not going to try to be that new creation no more because the Bible says I am a new creation. I'm just going to start believing that's what I already am. And when I began to believe what I really already was, guess what? Something started happening in me. Something, this energy started going to work inside of me that began to give the, the desires, the righteous desires, the good desires, started coming back into my heart again. It, that sounds too simple, doesn't it? it, it just, well, I'm just going to believe I'm a new creation. Why am I going to believe that? Because the Bible says I am. It doesn't say I have to do anything to become a new creation. It says I am a new creation. And my heart, which is the gateway of my life, because what you believe in your heart, that's how your life's going to be. If you believe you've got to do something, to work on something, to become a better person. I had a person this morning who said, you know what? In the first service, he says, I am a recovering alcoholic for 20 years. That, what you said, is what got me free from alcohol. That, what you said. I quit trying to get free. I began to believe something about myself that was true. I quit believing I was an alcoholic. I started believing that I was a new creation in Christ. And something happened. He said, I haven't had it. He said, I just need to hear that again this morning. In fact, I had two. I had two people come to me. You know what? Maybe this is a... Maybe this is a message not for the good church people. Maybe this is a message for people sitting in this room this morning that in your life you're saying, you know what, I'm a failure. I'm not cutting it as a Christian. I want to, I want to get drunk or I want to get high or I want to go sleep around or I want to do this or I want to do that. And I'm, I'm being consumed by it and I'm being destroyed by it and I'm never measured up to these, all these other people. I'll never be as good as them. I'll never be able to worship the Lord. Like Maybe this is the message for you. That was who I was. I remember the, the night I heard this guy get up and talk in the church who was a real successful person, and he was a baseball player in college and had all these professional baseball teams wanting him to be a professional baseball player. And he because he was a believer, for some reason, he didn't want to be a professional baseball player, which is crazy, right? I mean, that's the craziest thing in the world. Why not go be a professional baseball player and be a Christian in that world? But he had this religious thought on him, that, no, I'm going to give up my baseball for God. And so he did, and he talked about all the things he gave up for God, 
He got him a wife, and they met Mary, and they had a baby, and the baby was dying. And he was upset with God, and he said to God, I have given you everything, and you won't heal my baby. You won't save my baby. And God spoke to him and said, I didn't want any of that stuff. All I really wanted was your heart. All I wanted was a relationship with you. And see, we live our Christian life thinking we'll do all this stuff. God, God owes or something, or this is the way it's going to work in our life. When it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with this one thing. I believe I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm already righteous. I'm already perfect in God's eyes. Now, sure, I need to learn how to walk in faith and not go on just feelings and all that stuff. You know, God really wants to liberate people. He wants you and I to become who we really are. You will never become who you really are. Trying. Here's what happens when you try to be something. When you try to be that new creation in Christ. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He just sort of sits back and watches you. Like, uh, really, it's like a drowning man. He just wanting you go down again. Oh, here you go. Go down again. Go. Somebody get a two-by-four and hit that man and put him out of his misery. So, so I can go get him and save him from trying to be something that he's not. We, we in the spirit for a world are terrible at this. Okay, this is what I've seen over and over and over in my Christian life. Is I, I remember when I was saved, there was a woman who was a prostitute. And she was bad. I knew her before, before we were Christians. And she came into the church, and she was a completely different person. She was on fire for God. She was radical for God. She took all that passion and stuff that in the world, and she went after God with it. But you know what happened to her? The newness wore off. The feelings wore off. And she fell away from God because she had that conflict. And her thoughts were condemning her. And she quit believing. So I know people, I knew people who, I got, who got saved, they were drug addicts, got saved in the same world as I did, who fell back in the world. Some of them died in the world. You know, and some of them are still out there in the world today living because they were trying to be something or, and they couldn't. Am I just trying to over-labor the point with you this morning? See, God wants to set people free to be who you really are. To be really who you really are it starts with realizing I'm a new creation in Christ already, period. I don't have to do anything to be that. And when you begin to trust that, the same thing you trust your salvation, you, the same thing you trust, your, you know, that you believe that God could save you. When you begin to believe that and just live your life based on a belief, instead of a belief that you don't measure up or a belief that you're always going to be a bum or you're always going to be second class or you're always going to be addicted or always this, always that, always this... Because that's what we believe. I'll never get free from this. I'll be stuck with this the rest of my life. And I think that frustrates a lot of Christians is they have sins in their life that they don't feel like they can ever overcome. I'll never get overcome this. I'll never get over this. For some reason, I've been prayed for 98 times about it. Does anybody want to talk about? And you got this stuff, and it's just condemning you and dragging you down. All you got to do, really, to get free is to believe something different. That's all you got to do. Believe that you're a new creation. Just believe that. And when those feelings come, you know what? I'm a new creation to Christ. And with that belief comes desire. And with that belief, old desires will go. doesn't mean you're never going to be tempted, but you know what the cool thing about temptation is? 
Temptate, being tempted is not a sin. If it was, Jesus was a sinner. Because the Bible says Jesus was tempted at every point. Being, don't feel condemned if you're tempted. Just say, hey, Jesus, you were tempted. Then I'm okay. I'm not condemned. I'm not judged. Are y'all getting this? Yeah. So, mm, thank you, Lord. We're going to do communion. We're going to do communion. This is the, what I call the real gospel. This is the gospel we live by. This is the way we get saved. It's the way we live our life. It's based on a belief. Here's what I've decided I'm going to do. I've decided this. Years ago, I'm a new creation in Christ right now. Now, can I read this one last little thing to you? Um, this is something, you know, I write those dear people things. Uh, this is what I wrote. I'm just copying myself, okay? Is that okay? I'm cheating. Come on, y'all, loosen up. The word transformation in Romans 12.2 comes from the Greek word that we get, metamorphosis, right? Butterfly. That's what happens with a butterfly. We're being transformed or literally metamorphosed into the image of Christ. With that transformation process comes the change in attitude, thoughts, and behavior that we all desire. Okay? If we do not believe we are a new creation in Christ, we will spend a lot of time and effort sincerely focusing on the wrong thing, trying to change and become our true Christ-like selves, and it will never happen. Never. If we will shift our focus to simply trusting God to grow or develop us into the image of Jesus, we will discover a whole new dynamic at work inside of us. It is like the DNA of God is released into our souls and He begins to metamorphosize us. That doesn't mean there will not be struggle. Maybe this is the way I should start preaching. Just write it down, right? The butterfly struggles. You know why I can say this? This is true in my life. I believe this 10,000%. I've got to live this. The butterfly struggles to get free from the cocoon. That's part of the growth process. There's going to be struggles in our life. Don't think there's not. Okay? Big, here's the big part of our struggle. The greatest struggle is to simply trust God to do what only He can do and stop trying to do it ourselves. That's your greatest struggle. That's everybody in this room's greatest struggle. That we would trust God to transform us, to change us, to do it in us instead of trying to do it ourselves. And when we let go and begin to believe that's what we do. That's the struggle. That's the war. That's the fight. Because all hell's going to tell you, your flesh is going to cry out, and the devil's just going to be having a fun time telling you something different. God's not going to help us do something He already did. He's not going to help you do something He's already did. He's just not going to do it. You can be free today. You can be 100% free today. You can walk out of this, this building free. You know why? Because the Bible says one thing. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. You are. Sure, there's going to be a working out, but you can walk out. You can walk out of here. You know what? That's what salvation really is. That's the whole point. That's the whole deal.
That's what it's all about. It's about us. We can walk out of here and live the Christ life. We can walk out of here and do that if we will believe it and we will trust Him to do it in us and through us. That's what it all boils down when it all really comes down to it. And you know what? When we're yoked to Jesus, we're going to do stuff that's right. I mean, it's not, it's, I'm not worried about doing wrong stuff. It's not an issue. We don't want to hold people captive by putting rules on them because that controls their outward behavior. That won't work. We want to free them from that and free them to be who they really are, that Christ-like person. And then you can become everything you want. You can have all your dreams.